Hello, my name is Paul, and we're going to jump straight into today's message with a question. Here it is. The question is, do you want to hear God? Do you? I'm not talking to the, about the person to the left or the right of you. I'm talking about you. Want. I'm talking about your desires, about, about what, your, what your heart's telling you. I think your head's probably telling you, hey, I'm... I'm engaging with a pastor and he's talking about God and I'm pretty sure he wants me to answer yes, right? Uh, you're right about all those things. But I want to go deeper than that. I want to I ask, do you want, do you want to hear God? And not just God as in one of many gods, a lowercase God, but as in the God who made you, the God who knitted you together, the God whose story we are living out our our stories. Do you want to hear from God? And that's a question that's existed for as long as we've been here. It's a question which is important to answer. And I put it to you that a lot of us probably know what the right answer is. But if we're honest, as we go to bed at night, and as we wrestle with these things in our own hearts, we probably answer, well, not really. And I think one of the reasons why we don't want to hear God is because our view of God is so tepid, it's so tiny and it's so meek that we actually have, in many ways, designed a God who isn't the God that we're going to be reading about as we look at God's scripture today in the book of Mark. Let me um, take you to a sociologist, Christian Smith's study. He spoke to over 3,000 Americans and, and conducted research around who they thought God was. And after conducting all these interviews, he put together a viewpoint. Now, this isn't a religious statement, but it just reflects what people really believe uh, about God, not what they tell the pastor, right? And I'm going to put it up here. It's been defined as moral therapeutic deism. And let me quickly read its five uh, key kind of principles to you. First one is a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. This God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. No, it's this God wants people to be moral. That's where moral comes from. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That's where the term therapeutic comes in. That God is really not that interested, but when he's needed, you can call upon him and he'll come and, and provide a solution to the particular problem that you're suffering from. And then finally, um, good people go to heaven when they die. Now, you're never going to tell me your answer, but if you read through this, deep down inside, how much of this resonates with what you believe to be true about God? I want to grab your attention today by saying that Jesus Christ isn't a God who meets these criteria at all. He is God with us, God revealed to us. And as we look at him and we re recapture something of who he is, I trust that by the end of our time together, when I ask the question, do you want to hear God? You'd be able to respond, yes, I do. I do. I don't want to have a God I've created who wants me to be moral and, and who's there to kind of give me therapeutic uh, help when I need it. No, I want a God who's, who is the true God. And so we're going to dive into scripture today. And the big idea is that when we ask the question, do you want to hear God? We're going to answer it with this, this scripture. And so let's do that. Let's look at this piece of scripture. It's occurring in uh, Mark chapter 9. And Jesus is about to take his uh, 
close disciples on a hike, which as Cape Tonians, we love in. I mean, this is a scripture which justifies all the weekend hiking that we get up to. So let's read it. Uh, Mark chapter nine from verse two. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Thanks be to God for his word. I asked the question, do you want to hear God? And the voice from the cloud gives us a massive answer from God's perspective when he gives us these words, listen to Jesus, listen to Jesus. This is a, a one point message in many ways. I'm asking one question, I'm giving one answer. Do you wanna hear God? Listen to Jesus. We could stop now, but I'm sure many of you, uh, whether you are first time guests or uh, back in church for, a, for the first time in a long time, you'd need some more convincing. You need some more persuasion. And that's why we're going to go through this passage now again, a little bit more slowly, giving the context and then really emphasizing this main point, which that, that his disciples needed to hear it. And we today as his apprentices also need to hear it. We need to sweep away all the misconceptions, all the misinformation, all the cobwebs in our mind around who Jesus is and allow his work amongst us as we, as we make his voice primary in our lives. So we're going back to verse two and we're noticing that there's a character in the story which we might not first identify. Of course, there's Jesus and then there are the three disciples he takes with him. But the extra character I wanna point out is, is the mountain. It's the mountain. The mountain is something that has huge symbolism for those people at that time, which we might miss. You see, the mountain was where many uh, encounters with God had taken place. Think about Abraham going up the mountain with his beloved son, Isaac. Think about Moses himself uh, receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Horeb. So often the mountain is seen as a, a thin space, a place where God and man can meet together. And so straight away, as soon as they're going up a mountain, they know something special could happen. As, as many of us in Cape Town know, when you get on top of a mountain, whether it's Lion's Head or Devil's Peak or Signal Hill even or, or Table Mountain itself, when you look down, there's, there's something of a perspective that that gives. And so something special is happening here and we lean in to hear that they're now on a mountain. It's not a valley. 
which is so often associated with pain and suffering. And those are part of our lives. I mean, the fact that valleys exist is because mountains exist. But this is a moment for strengthening those closest to him. And so he takes them up on a mountain. What happens there is quite extraordinary. It says that he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. Straight away, this is a a big switch from, from what you would expect. You see, Moses had liberated the people of God from Egypt. They'd, they'd received God's 10 commandments, a, a promise to make them into a certain kind of people uh, that they could bless others with who they were. And when he'd received those 10 commandments, it said when he came back down the mountain, he was reflecting the glory of God. They said his face was sort of like changed because of his encounter with God. But you see, what Moses had was a reflection. He'd, he'd been in God's presence and he could reflect that to other people, much like a mirror would. But Jesus was different. Jesus wasn't a reflection. He was radiating the, the, um, what's described here as this intense color, this intense purity. He wasn't just a reflection. He was the source of this intensity. And no one on earth could kind of bleach this, this into him. And it's an incredible moment that then would have made the disciples go, whoa, whoa, something different is happening here. This is someone who's the source of something, not just a faint echo of something. See, it seems like a bit of heaven and earth is coming together here on top of the mountain, building the case for why if we want to hear from God, we need to listen to Jesus. Things don't just... Um, stay kind of strange when it comes to the transfiguration, Jesus radiating this, this energy. No, two characters arrive back from the dead. Let's read from verse four. It says, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Now I want to step back for a moment and just make the case for, for what is going on here. Because if you, if you see these names, you might not know the full context. Let's start with Moses. Moses was the one I alluded to who, took the people out of Egypt, received the Ten Commandments, led his people out of slavery into a, a new relationship with God. And Moses has always then been associated with the law, with, with the incredible commitment God had to his people that meant that he communicated to them how best to live this life. The law was received as a great gift, no longer getting pulled from the left to the right, but understanding who God was and to live in accordance with his design as image bearers. We often think of the law as being that sign that's put on nice, pristine grass where it says, keep off the grass. And that, of course, just naturally makes you want to go and trample on it, right? That's what all of us want to do. But if we see the law as being God's wisdom to us around how life really works, or how the inside of the inside functions, we see it as a, a great delight and can echo what many uh, Psalms describe as the law being perfect and food for the soul. And so many people's eyes, Moses was always associated with the law and God's perfect uh, kind of wisdom to us. And alongside him is Elijah, Elijah prophet who spoke on behalf of God to his people, called people to the abundance of what God had done for them. And so the disciples looking there would have seen Jesus radiating the whiter than white, kind of bleach to the perfection. They would have seen Moses, the lawgiver. Now they would have seen Elijah, the prophet of prophets. And they would have said, wow, what a moment. And Elijah, interestingly, is the only character who 
in Bible times is recorded, or in the Bible is recorded as returning to Mount Horeb, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Elijah goes years later, hundreds of years later, and he goes to that mountain and he accuses God. He says to God, God, your people are nowhere. They're not listening to me as your voice um, to them. I'm the only one who's listening to you. And he, and he goes to this mountain, almost accusing God, saying, God, what you started with the Ten Commandments, it's hopeless now. It's not possible to, to see the redemption that you spoke of. There's only one recorded going back to that place. And what's quite interesting about it is it says that there was a, a terrible wind that passed them, but God wasn't in the wind. And there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God wasn't in the earthquake. But then there was a still voice that spoke to him and essentially said, no, no, no. You don't understand this, Elijah. There's more to the story than what you see. I'm still in control. I'm still moving things forward. And Elijah responds from that place and goes out as, as a prophet, as a representative of God. What's going on here? Jesus transfigured. Moses is the representative of the law. Elijah is the prophet of all prophets. They're talking with Jesus. They're talking to him about his journey now towards the cross. They're talking to him about what he's facing. More evidence that there's something exceptional about Jesus that appearing back from the dead are Moses and Elijah, preparing him for the task he has ahead. Peter wonderfully is recorded as responding. We pick it up again in verse five. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I just love the honesty of that. I mean, in many ways, that verse six should be kind of in brackets where Peter's going, I said a whole bunch of stuff, but I was because I was just so terrified. I mean, this is just an out of worldly experience, category busting experience. And all I thought to say was, let's make tents. The word tent there is actually the word tabernacle, which again is a picture of a place where heaven and earth meet, where the divine meets you and I, those that he's created. It's a place where... We long to, to kind of hear from God. And he's saying, man, I don't want to rush out. I want to hear from you, God. There's something happening here with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. I want to hear from you. I want to stay here. But as we see, events kind of keep moving. And we see from verse 7 that a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. What happens in this moment is that the presence of God is manifest. Throughout scripture, whenever a cloud descends, it's seen as God's presence. And what's incredible is that Peter's included in that. And John and James, and, and, and it surrounds them. And, and you'd imagine when that voice beckons out, everyone's leaning in going, God, we want to hear you. We want to hear you. And what is the message? This is my beloved son, Listen to him. You see, up until this point uh, through the book of Mark, Jesus has been making a claim about who he is. And that's been a, kind of acknowledged by the disciples in the first half. They said, okay, that, that's who you are. You're the Messiah, you're the Christ. But now Jesus is turning and saying, I'm, I am that, but I'm coming to a cross. I'm suffering on behalf of what you're doing. I've, I've described who I am. Now I'm describing what I'm going to do. And quite frankly, the disciples do not believe him. They're incredulous. They're saying, no, if you're the king, you should do king stuff. If you're the Messiah, you should be doing overpowering stuff. And Jesus is saying, I am going to do all those things. But the path is through the cross. The path to glory is through suffering. The path to reigning forever is sacrifice. And so they're struggling 
to hear Jesus. Well, they're certainly struggling to listen to Jesus. So this moment on the mountain, this place where God and man meets, is a moment where a voice beckons and says, listen to him. And as if to emphasize the message, when the cloud departs, suddenly, it's only Jesus remaining. Moses, the law, has been fulfilled in Jesus. That's what is kind of getting communicated right now. Moses was great. Moses pointed us towards God, but Jesus is coming and he's going to fulfill the law on a whole nother level. And Elijah, an amazing prophet, but even he isn't as great as the one who's standing before you, Jesus Christ. Not just your crucified king, but your, but your fulfillment of the law and your prophet to end all prophets. That message that we should listen to Jesus is still the message that rings out today. And that message of the cloud disappearing and only Jesus or Jesus only is another message which we need to hear today. What happens after a moment like that? The cloud's gone and the disciples start going down the mountain. And Jesus interestingly says, tell no one. It's the usual message. Tell no one, tell no one. We've seen that throughout this book. It looks like Again, behavior we wouldn't um, recommend in any movement that you're trying to get momentum. But he keeps saying, no, don't tell anyone. Except for the first time, he slips in a condition, which is one day you will be able to tell. And what is that condition? He says, no, you will be able to tell one day when the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Again, the disciples don't like that message. They love the message of a king. They don't like a message about a cross. But that's why there's been this strong message to them saying, listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now the disciples are talking about this as they go down the mountain and it's quite clear that they're discussing the matter amongst themselves. And they say, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Again, some context would be helpful here. The last book of the Old Testament, you can go look at it. It's the book of Malachi. And in there it describes how one day towards the end, Elijah is going to come. And that's going to be a, a, a foretaste of, of the Messiah's coming. And I mean, what has just happened in this text? Well, they've seen Elijah with their own eyes. So they're thinking, it's game on, right? We've seen Elijah. Surely this now must be the moment, Jesus. And so you see here that they ask him. They say, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? That's their question. And Jesus responds by saying, yeah, Elijah has come. But he doesn't identify Elijah as being the one they've just seen. No, he, he says that the Elijah that they actually need to see is John the Baptist, his cousin, the one who baptized him, the one who first heard those voice from the clouds saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And in our verse, listen to him. You see, what's happening here is quite incredible. Uh, the, the disciples had thought that Elijah was going to come and then human history was going to get wrapped up in an amazing moment. But what Jesus is teaching is something totally different. John the Baptist is Elijah. John the Baptist was beheaded by the king. And in so many ways, John the Baptist was showing the route that Jesus Christ himself was going to take to the cross. See, John the Baptist was a foretaste of the suffering that was going to be endured by the, our Messiah. And, and Jesus is wanting his disciples to know about that. So I'm making, I'm making a, a case to each and every one of us today that the message of, of God to the disciples on that mountain, that place where heaven and earth meet, was this is my beloved son, listen to him. And that's the same message for you and I today. If I ask you, do you want to hear God? Do you want to hear God? The answer to that would be then, listen to Jesus. Listen 
to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. If, you, if you're ever asking questions like, how do you live the good life? What would be good rules to live by? I mean, exclusive books is packed with books of 12 rules of this, seven rules of that. We, something inside of us wants to be inside of, of how things have been designed. Jesus Christ is the one you should go to to find out how to live the good life. Oh, and, and so many of us want to have an encounter with God, want to know what it's like to be like Elijah who, who was able to pray for fire to come down and, and to and to show the prophets of Baal how their God was no God compared to Yahweh. And we long for those experiences as well. But yet it's Jesus ultimately who is the prophet to, to, to be the best of all. If we want to know God and we want to be on the inside of what's happening, listen to Jesus. And something which always strikes me about these accounts is how like you and I, Peter is. You notice how Peter is terrified. He admits he is, but yet he still doesn't listen to Jesus, right? He, he gets into action mode and he kind of suggests making some tents and, and he kind of goes for it from that point of view. He's, he's terrified, but yet God still uh, meets him and still, and still pours out his love and his grace on him. And so if you are sitting here and you're saying, Paul, I, I get it at like a conceptual level, but my heart's far from God. I'd say, be like Peter and say, God, I, I come to you in all my confusion, in all my kind of turmoil. And I'm just saying, I need you. I want you. I want to be with you. I want a place to connect with you. And if you're suffering at the moment, if your experience of life at the moment is not a mountaintop experience, it's a valley experience. It's a simple application to use. Do you want to hear God speaking to you in the valley? Come to the one who who knows the value of death as well, who's walked that road, who's on the way to that road. And he got comfort as he talked to Moses and Elijah and he, and he has a message for you. And he himself is that message. But just like John the Baptist and just like Jesus, the one, the one that we're following, we don't expect an easy life, but we expect God's presence throughout this life. And the final thought when it comes to application is just that Jesus said, hey, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. Well, where are we are in our place of history? We have a resurrected Messiah. We've just celebrated it at Easter. We can tell everyone about the good news of what he has done, that we do have a God who has come to rescue us. And I know we're going to be launching Alpha in a couple of weeks and there are going to be announcements about that, but we, we can be heralds of good news and we can distribute information about how best to know about how life truly works and about God's goodness. I've, I've made the case that if you want to hear God, you need to listen to Jesus, but I know it's hard. And there could be a question if you were sitting here with me now, you'd ask, but Paul, it's not as easy as this, right? And I think it's because when we do listen to Jesus, we notice that he contradicts our view of, of the universe. He, he often will come and challenge us. And being challenged is never an easy experience. It requires us to examine ourselves and to make some changes. But if you can identify with that moral therapeutic deism that I described, it means that you're on a collision course with Jesus because Jesus is a real person of history who doesn't insist on that paradigm being true, but provides a whole new paradigm. You see, when you go and listen to Jesus, you see on, uh, on, on a couple of verses before and after phrases like this, deny yourself and follow me. I mean, could you get any more countercultural than that right now? And if you're going to listen to Jesus, you're going to need to talk about that and wrestle with that in life groups and with friends and with people that you're watching now, uh, this message with on the screen. I mean, how would that even work? 
How would that even work? And say you buy into that and you say, okay, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Well, where are you going? Well, like the disciples said, are you going towards a cross? You're going towards suffering. What, did, what would that look like? Well, I, I would say it looks like a life of sacrifice for others. You see, what's so hard for us to accept is that Jesus Christ is laying down his life for the sake of others. I'd say that that's, that's a heavenly principle. That's a kingdom principle that essentially says, my life to serve you, my life to serve you. The way of, of hell, the way that leads away from God is your life, your life to serve me, your life to serve me. And what we see here as Jesus is going to the cross is he's not just giving a message, but he's living the message of the kingdom to say, my life to serve you. And when we see God doing that, we have the resource to serve others. If you're new to the Bible, go and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, life-changing words. They certainly changed my life and uh, the trajectory of my life and who I'm becoming today as I look at Jesus and I hear Jesus and I listen to Jesus and I obey Jesus and I trust Jesus and I see him at work. And I say, my life to serve you, my life to love others. It might look like I'm, I'm losing in that, but actually there's life in the full on the other side of that. What helps me in these moments is to see once again the fact that Jesus has done something I never could. You see, let's look at Moses. I mean, he, he revealed the law. He came with the law, but he was powerless to fulfill it himself or to get other people to. It's only Jesus who was actually able to live this life perfectly, to therefore be our representative on the cross, to say that this is, this is an unjust punishment done on our behalf so that our sins die when he dies and our lives get resurrected as he is resurrected. Moses gave the law, but he was helpless to fulfill it. And Elijah, who went to Mount Horab all those years ago and said, God, this mission is hopeless. Everyone's a failure. I'm the only one who's listening to you. I'm the only one left. Well, that wasn't actually true. That wasn't true at all. Truth is, it's only Jesus who was the only one left. It's only Jesus who was rightfully declared the one who could be our substitute who's lived this perfect life. And then finally, I mean, what about Peter, man? Peter who wanted to build these tents. Peter who was terrified. Peter who kept saying the wrong thing. Peter who wanted for heaven and earth to overlap, but, but kept getting it wrong. Well, isn't it incredible that as he's getting it wrong, the cloud still comes and includes him. The cloud didn't just go over those that had got it all right, but the cloud went over everyone. And the cloud said, this is my son. Listen to him. And of course, that is the story of the early church and the story of all those disciples' lives as they continue to listen to Jesus through the valleys and through the mountains. And while we sit here in the city of Cape Town all these years later, I leave you with this thought that when Peter first heard the voice and when he first saw the whole scene, I don't think he would have initially been that impressed by Jesus. I mean, he would have seen the radiation coming out of him. But think about who he was seeing before him. He was seeing two people back from the dead, right? He was seeing Moses, the lawgiver, the guy who would have read about it in the Old Testament going, oh my gosh, he's here. And here's Elijah. Goodness, Jesus, look at these two guys. They're back from the dead. They're in resurrection glory. I think if you'd asked, you know, in that moment, Peter, you know, who do you, who do you think are the most important characters here? He would have gone, Trish, it's a tie between Moses and Elijah. And then there's Jesus and then there's us. But that was soon going to change, Right? That was soon going to change. 
Peter wanted to build a temple where God would meet with his people. But Jesus said, I'm going to have my body destroyed. And in three days, I'm going to rise again. Peter longed for heaven and earth to meet. And Jesus Christ has made that possible. When, when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two, making God, the divine, accessible to you and I, those that have been created in his image. Peter would have, think, would have thought, Moses and Elijah, wow, they're here. But after Easter, they would have gone, Jesus Christ, wow, he is here. Christianity is not about a religious label. It's about following Christ and listening to Christ and seeing how uniquely he has saved us. And so in response, I'd love us just to think, imagine, imagine meeting God this, this day, wherever you are right now. Imagine turning off the laptop and just meeting with God. Imagine him speaking to you. Imagine him radiating, not reflecting, but radiating forgiveness and love, the purest color you've ever seen, unimaginable. And imagine his voice to you. Imagine his voice to you. He's not saying, I saw you do this, this, and this. No, he's saying, I saw you do this. I've known you since you were knitted together. And I've chosen to love you. I've chosen to pursue you. I've chosen to die for you. It's an invitation for you to continue to listen and continue to base your life on all that I've done for you, to be reconciled with me. Friends, do not go through life without listening to the voice of Jesus. Do not go through life without listening to the voice of Jesus.